This podcast was recorded Thursday, December 8th at 10.26 a.m. Things may have changed by the time you hear it. Yeah, like the U.S. Supreme Court will have a formal code of ethics. They don't now? Nope. They police themselves, Steve. That's quite a gig. Let's talk politics. This is Snollygoster, WOSU Public Media's weekly look at Ohio politics and all those Snollygosters or shrewd politicians who say state government should stay out of local government, except when it comes to guns or fracking or banning plastic grocery bags. I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Mike Thompson. Ah, the old home rule. Home is such a relative term. Coming up in the podcast, when is natural gas deemed green energy? At the Ohio State House, of course. Of course. But first, it looks like it's going to be harder for some people to vote. The Ohio House and Senate working on a couple bills that would change voting rules. Yeah, things are still a little fluid, but here are some of the changes that they're thinking about. The final day of early voting, that's the Monday before Election Day, would be eliminated. Absentee ballots have to arrive at the Board of Elections by the time polls close, so no more 10-day grace period. Drop boxes would be limited to one location per county. And the big one, voters would have to present a photo ID. Currently, voters can present an ID or a utility bill, bank statement, or a paycheck. One of the bills to require a photo ID is sponsored by Senator Teresa Gavaron. This is one step to make sure we are protecting and preserving the integrity of our election. For those without a driver's license, the state would provide a way for people to get a free photo ID. And there is a controversial component. One version of the legislation would require the photo ID to have the voter's current address on it. Yeah, no other state requires that. And it seems to be a bit of a burden for people who move every couple of years. You know, leases come and go. People who move in between those times, they need to get their licenses officially renewed. You would have to change your address with the BMV, but you can do it online or by mail. But how you'd get that to show up on your photo ID, uh, we don't know. And, of course, all these changes come as Ohio election officials, even Republican officials, trumpet the state's super secure elections and point out that there is an really, really almost undetectable amount of voter fraud. Here to speak with us today about this proposed change is Mia Lewis of Common Cause Ohio. Thanks for joining Snollygoster. Thank you so much. Pleased to be here. So we have to show an ID to do a lot of things in our society, right? Why should we not have to show one at the polls? Well, first of all, um, you know, many states don't require any ID whatsoever. And in the past, most states didn't require any ID. It's an idea that's been growing over time slowly. Um, But the fact is that, um, as you said, you know, there really isn't a problem with um, voter fraud in Ohio at all. But voter impersonation, when, when you're looking to get someone's ID, you're talking about voter impersonation. And they're actually, that's, to the there's so little of that there's basically none there's been one prosecuted case in 10 years it's essentially mythical so if you ask someone to show an id you're not really solving any problems there are lots and lots of problems with ohio elections but voter impersonation is not one of them yeah ohio would be the ninth state to require a photo id the others are wisconsin indiana missouri Kansas, Arkansas, Tennessee, Mississippi, and Georgia, which of course just had the runoff uh, this this week, is it is it more of a, I mean, to get most people have ID. Let's face it, most people in Ohio have a driver's license or they have a photo ID. So I think for most people, it's not a huge deal. 
Well, I don't know about that. There's about 11% of Ohioans who don't have a a photo ID, and that translates to about 800,000 voting Ohioans. That's a lot of people, Mm -hmm. and a lot of them don't have ID for a variety of reasons. Maybe, you know, they, um, it's not just a question of can you afford to get an ID. You might have um, there may have been a fire and you lost your birth certificate and it's extremely complicated for you to get those underlying documents that you need in order to be able to get an ID. So there's not a quick fix mm-hmm. for something like that. And it's it's incredibly difficult for people you know, who don't have those underlying documents to get an ID when you think about the logistical challenges that they have to go through. Is there a certain age category that this affects I me? Mean, I'm thinking of elderly folks who don't drive anymore maybe younger folks, lower income folks. Is there a demographic? Absolutely. So the younger voters, the you know 17-year-old, 18-year-olds, um, I mean, obviously 17-year-olds aren't voters yet, but, um, and, you know, when you talk about the elderly, that is a, that is a very important population. A lot of people, um, when they're elderly, move. They may move into a nursing home or some other kind of situation like that. Um, are they going to have um, an up-to-date address? Are they going to have an unexpired driver's license? There's a lot of elderly who don't drive. Yeah. There are also people who've had their driver's licenses revoked for a number of reasons, um, or they may be confined um, and you know not not be able to present a driver's license. So it's it's really a challenge for a lot of people, and it's completely unnecessary. It doesn't solve any problem um, that we have in Ohio in our elections. Uh, what's the political calculus then? Is it to tamp down Democratic turnout? Um, I would definitely say that was part of the political calculus. It's also kind of, you know, to put you, give a little badge to yourself and say, look at me, I'm I'm standing up against the myth of voter voter fraud in it's an Ohio. Issue that, it's an issue that polls well with Republicans. It polls well with Republicans. It kind of, you know, it it gives you a badge of having done something about the trouble with our elections when you actually haven't done anything. In fact, you've just made it harder for eligible citizens to cast their ballot. We're trying to look at how this, like states that have photo ID now, what it has done to turnout. We couldn't find any place where it really showed to suppress turnout. What does your research show you? Well, um, like Indiana, Wisconsin, some places like that. I will say that, you know, people, um, you know, there's a difference between, you know, barriers to the ballot that stop people from voting and enthusiasm and turnout. So, you know, just if, if a barrier to uh, voting is elected, sometimes that encourages people. They say, you know, hell no, you're not going to stop me from voting, and that may make them turn out. But it is also true that small barriers to voting really do prevent people from voting. A lot of people in America think, you know, we're, we're a can-do nation, we're can-do people, I can vote if I want to, but they don't realize that actually there may be a small barrier that will actually prevent them from voting whether they, whether they want to or not. There was great turnout in Georgia. Um, that doesn't mean there weren't people who couldn't vote who wanted to because they didn't have that required ID. Is that the, even though there's a, a, a free ID attachment to this, is that another sort of micro barrier you're talking about? Even though it's free, it's still another obstacle to, to go get the ID. I'm sorry that the free ID thing is just completely nonsense in my opinion. Um, because first of all, it doesn't address the underlying documents issue. It doesn't address, you know, you have someone in a nursing home how are they going to go and get their free ID? Are you going to give them a ride to the the BMV? Are you going to 
pro- provide childcare for someone who has to take time off work in order to, you know, go and get their free ID. It really doesn't. It's meaningless. And it's interesting that um, at least in um, 458, um, the bill, they didn't um, even put a fiscal note saying how much that would cost uh, the state to provide those, quote, free IDs. Uh, the free ID is the Supreme Court standard on this, correct? That's, um, that's when, when states are allowed to do this as long as they uh, give access to a free ID. Correct. I think that was in Indiana that was um, established. Yeah, that was the Indiana case that went before the U.S. Supreme Court, and they said photo ID is not an undue burden if the state offers uh, a free If they charge for it, it becomes a poll tax, essentially. I mean, the the problem is, you know, any changes in Ohio election law, how are you going to get that information out to people? We know how difficult it is to communicate with people. There's no way to alert everyone in Ohio. Hey, guys, you can have your free ID. Or guess what? We always used to send out um, unsolicited absentee ballot applications, but we're not going to do that anymore. Are they going to send someone out to knock on everyone's door and say, by the way, these are the changes in election law? And that's what worries me is people who voted in a particular way or counted on being able to mail that ballot, you know, the day before the election. And then all of a sudden, those ballots aren't going to count. And it keeps changing. And it keeps <laughs> Every changing. Every two years. But this first, the first big change was after the long lines in 2004. When that, That's when we saw those long lines, Bush versus Kerry, and the state legislature made no-fault absentee voting, early voting. They had the golden week where you could register mm-hmm. and vote on the same day. And since then, they've been chipping it away. We missed that golden week. We missed that golden mm-hmm. week. I mean, you mentioned long lines. There are still long lines yep. in Ohio. We had um, early vote centers with one, two-hour lines. We had polling day locations here in Franklin County with one, two-hour lines on election day. And these issues are not complicated to solve. If you wanted to sit down and say, how can I make Ohio elections better? It would be so easy to do that. Why do we have just one early vote center? That's not a requirement. There are many states who have more than one and other other solutions that I could easily list off for you. The current address on the driver's license or the ID. Mm -hmm. You get your driver's license renewed every four years Mm -hmm. and you have to change your address when you move. So if you move from, you know, from Columbus to Cleveland or from Columbus to Cincinnati, you're supposed to change your address with the BMV, but you do it by mail Mm -hmm. or you can do it online. Mm -hmm. So I'm guessing you don't like the fact that your ID now has to show your current address if that's what's in the final bill, which is seems Right. I don't think it is in the final bill. I mean, that is really an an insurmountable barrier when you think about students who may move every year. Um, Another thing that this doesn't provide for is there are, I think, about 25,000 out-of-state students in Ohio who have the right to register and vote here. But um, right now they can register with their last four of their social and they can use a a document showing their address um, to vote with. They wouldn't be eligible to get um, an ID in in Ohio. And so how are they going to be able to vote? And like you said, IDs are good for up to four years. It's actually up to eight years now. Oh, that's when I right. re- renew my driver's license in April, I renew it for eight years, and it costs a, a bit more money too. So it's a it's another financial obstacle. But not losing a hair in those eight years. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. <laughs> well, you better not move. You yes. know, I guess right. is what they're saying. And you know, there's it's it's one class of people who aren't going to move um, in eight years. You're you're really targeting a certain demographic if you're saying you have to have your address be the same for four or eight years. Property owners, people mm-hmm. who own their own property, people mm-hmm. who. I mean, I don't know how many times I moved when I was a young adult. Every year sure. I was moving. You know, going from apartment to apartment, from lease to lease, roommates to roommates, and. 
It would have been to imagine standing in line every time at the BMV every time you moved. So the state standard now is photo ID or utility bill, paycheck, something along those lines. Is that the the ultimate standard that Common Cause would like to see stay in place, or do you think it should be even lower? Or what's what's your ideal ideal standard for identifying yourself at the polls? Um, well, I think what we have works really well right now, and there's really no reason to change something that isn't broken. What I think is they're not really looking at it from the voters' perspective. Um, I'll just give you one example. Um, they allow certain people to return voted absentee ballots, like you're a, a close family member, a spouse, a child. They don't allow a grandchild. Now, if you're a disabled voter and you're at home and you can't get out to mail your ballot and you've, you've got it there and it's voted and you've made all your choices, why on earth you know, should you not be able to have your grandchild drop that ballot off? And you know, there you are stuck at home and, and you're looking at your ballot, you know, not being counted for no particular reason whatsoever. I bet there are a lot of Republican grandparents that want their grandkids to take their ballots in. Just, just saying. Sounds nice. Uh, yeah. All of these home. things are, are nonpartisan. Nonpartisan. Yeah. You know, when you have one early vote center, that harms people in big rural counties who can't get to that um, to get vote center. If you don't have enough drop drop boxes and you're going to be relying on the mail. There are parts of Ohio where the mail takes a really long time. Um, you know, they're not being able to um, mail a ballot and have it arrive, a postmark ballot and have it arrive after election day. That's going to affect a lot of people uh, of any political uh, stripe. Anything well, else Anything else under consideration that you're particularly concerned with, the elimination of the Monday early voting? That's a big one. How many people vote on that Monday, do we know? Uh, it's one of the most popular early vote days. Um, I I think it's over a hundred thousand. It's a, I'm I'm not a, entirely sure, but mm. it's a lot of um, people. And in the previous version of this bill, those hours were redistributed to other days. Currently, in 458, they're just taken away um, without being redistributed. And of course, we would want I, I would want it to stay on the Monday. They've been operating that way for 10 years. They obviously can. It's not a problem. Why not just keep it? Um, if you had to change it, change it to a weekend or a time that's really popular. Because there's only one Sunday you can vote now. Mm -hmm. It used to be you could vote on more Sundays, mm -hmm. and that was the whole souls to the polls mm -hmm. issue there. A lot of African-American churches, they would, they would take buses from the church to the voting place and vote. It was part of the tradition. Wouldn't want that. Why do you think this issue polls so well among Republicans? I mean, is it is it racism? Is it just them trying to have complete control of state government? Or why do you think... I know Facebook is not reality, right? But when you when you when you go, there's a lot of people who support these changes. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's such a thirst mm -hmm. to have tougher voting laws? Well, I think that there's. A, first of all, I think people don't understand. They just don't have that ability to kind of empathize and say, well, you know, they think, well, I have an ID. Why is that so hard? You know, they don't understand that there are people for whom that really is a barrier. Lots of them. Mm -hmm. um, and then there is, you know, there's so much mythology out there about voter fraud. Um, my feeling is I have a different way of looking at it. If you had an election and one person voted in that election who wasn't really allowed to vote in that election, that would mess up your outcome. But if you have an election and one person who is allowed and isn't able to for because of some barrier, that also messes up the, the result of the election. There's way more people in Ohio who are allowed to vote and who can't vote for some small silly reason um, as compared to, quote, you know, people who vote and shouldn't be allowed to. That basically doesn't happen here in Ohio. The argument is, aside from the 
security of the argument is that the voting is a responsibility and people should take it seriously and take the steps necessary to exercise that right. It is a right. Mm-hmm. And you have the right to vote, obviously, unless you've done something that takes away that right. But you have to work a little bit mm-hmm. to be able to exercise that right. Is that is that un- is that not reasonable? No, I, I understand that feeling. But first of all, there are plenty of times when someone, you know, something changes. For example, um, a friend of mine um, was planning to vote on Election Day and then um, their job said, you know, I'm sorry, you have to go to this thing in Kentucky and it was too late to request an absentee ballot, too late to get to early vote. That person, you know, couldn't vote. Um, you know, so th- there are times when, despite um, anyone's best effort, um, something comes up. You have a sick child. You yourself get sick. You know, something happens. You aren't able to vote. So, um, and also, you know, as you mentioned before, the long lines. There are just practical reasons why we want to reduce the barrier to being able to vote so we can spread it out and everyone can have a positive experience um, you know when they go to vote and we haven't talked at all about provisional ballots every single thing that is in these bills um, will increase the number of provisional ballots which is just bad policy all around Ohio already has the third highest rate of of provisional ballots in the country I think we account for um, 10% of all provisional ballots in the country. That's bad for elections officials. It's bad for voters. It gives them a bad experience. Um, and one other thing I wanted to say is, you know, election security and confidence in elections is a is a two-way street. If you, um, if you have elections that aren't secure and people don't trust the outcome, that's bad. But if you have elections where there are so many barriers and people feel that they aren't being allowed to vote, that also is bad and reduces people's confidence. Mia Lewis of Common Cause Ohio, thanks for joining Snollygoster. Thank you so much. On All Sides with Ann Fisher, we cover the topics that affect life in central Ohio, from immigration to the economy to the continuing opioid crisis. But the reality is if if you don't save someone who's overdosed, they have no opportunity to recover. Hear thoughtful, in-depth conversations about the issues that matter now. Subscribe to the All Sides with Ann Fisher podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Snollygoster from WOSU Public Media. Time now for our Snollygoster of the Week Award, where we honor the shrewdest politician or political move of the week. This week it goes to the Ohio Oil and Gas Association, Ohio's newest producers of green energy. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, that's right. It, it and others have, quote, encouraged lawmakers to make changes to a bill that would require fracking under state land and it would label natural gas as green energy. Well, it is. It is natural. That's a stretch. (laughs) Opponents say the provision would force Ohio to lease state parks and public land, even university property, to allow drilling for natural gas. Imagine that, a fracking well under the OSU Oval or under the horseshoe. Right in the end zone. Right there. You can dot the I with the fracking well. Supporters say that's not true because the changes would allow the state to reject projects that they don't like. And this provision is meant as a way to get the state to stop dragging their feet on implementing an 11-year-old law that allows for drilling in state parks. As for the natural gas as green energy argument, it is certainly much greener than coal, but it still produces a lot of methane and greenhouse gas emissions. And we should say the European Union has designated natural gas as green energy. They also have named uh, nuclear power as green energy. Okay, so should we also say that this provision was tacked onto a bill 
to regulate the sale of poultry chicks? Gotta love lame duck. The Christmas tree bills. They're coming yes. out there everywhere. Oh, yeah. Well, poultry, natural gas, it's all kind of connected. Is it? Fracking. <laughs> okay, anyway, the Ohio Oil and Gas Association, you are our Snollygosters of the week. If you have a suggestion for next week, you can email it to us at snollygoster at wosu.org. As always, be sure to tell your friends about us. Leave us a good review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. For our student producer, Katie Genius, our audio producer, Eric French, and our web producer, Michael DeBonis, I'm Steve Brown. And I'm Mike Thompson for Snollygoster from WOSU Public Media. 